This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey everyone, you're listening to Code Switch. I'm B.A. Parker. Now, I grew up on the educational side of Black social media, and I'm forever grateful because it taught me this word, misogynoir. It was coined by the scholar Moya Bailey, and it became this gift of a word. The term misogynoir named my experience as a young Black woman, experiencing racialized sexism and sexist racism targeted towards my Blackness. Once I could name it, I could see it, and I could point it out on the internet or on the street. It's that uneasy feeling that bubbles up when you hear certain people's critiques of Beyonce, or when people look at Serena Williams' tennis stats and don't want to call her the greatest of all time, or very recently, in the commentary around Megan Thee Stallion and her assault. All of it is misogynoir. And this season of NPR's Louder Than a Riot tackles what that means for hip-hop past and present. So, we're going to play part of an episode for you that dives into the way the current hip-hop climate shapes women's bodies and the female rappers who are fighting back. A warning before we begin. This podcast is explicit in every way. When did you first start to think that surgery was an option? What interested you in it? Honestly... What interests me in surgery was I was in a relationship and he used to always make fun of my fupa. And for y'all I don't know what fupa <laughs> is, it's fat upper pussy area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could curse on here, but that's what it is. Yeah, you can curse. Yeah, That's Dream Doll, the Bronx rapper short in height, only about five feet tall, with a very curvaceous stature. She definitely got that ah-ah-ah. I got the hookah, who got the bottles, who got the ah-ah-ah. Got a new bitch, got a new body, got a new ah-ah-ah. And she's open about how her body got that way. So he used to, like, always make fun of, like, my, you know, my little love handles and stuff. So I was like, come on. I was so young. I was in a relationship. He was making me feel insecure about stuff. And then I wound up going to give me a nice little lipo. And then I wound up leaving him after I got the lipo, but... It was like I thought about it after, like, did I just really go get my waist snatched for this man? It wasn't just a whack boyfriend telling her how her body should look, because those messages were everywhere when Dream was coming up. It was the early 2000s, peak of the video vixen era in rap, where women with big booties were getting name recognition in songs, magazine spreads, even awards for being super voluptuous. Yeah, in the 2010s, celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Nicki Minaj were setting a new standard for an exaggerated aesthetic. Whether an artist or arm candy, hip-hop made it clear that having a baddie body was required for entry. Do you feel like getting some of the some of these surgeries was like cost for investing in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was definitely an investment for myself. I've seen a change in my life. And it's fucked up, but I it's my story. So This pressure that magazines, label execs, and boyfriends put on Dream and people like her, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's a direct result of the male gaze. The idea that everything women do is in the eye of what cis straight men want to see. And from watching video vixens to working bottle service at a strip club to entering the rap game herself, 
Dream definitely knew what straight men wanted to see. If you're fire, there's no reason why my talent, like my talent should always speak first. Um, and I feel like it don't be like that. It's like, it's really unfair. You know, I just feel like it's just always about what's on the outside first. Dream felt watched by that gaze, and it led her to getting lipo and then a breast enhancement. But the surgery she really wanted, though, was a BBL. A BBL is a Brazilian butt lift. That's when you turn your butt to a gut. I mean, sorry. That's when you turn your that's when you turn your gut to a butt. How you do that? Lipo. You lipo wherever you want to remove and you put it wherever you want to put it, or you can throw it away. It's up to you. Today BBLs are well known. In fact, in the past 10 years in the U.S., the BBL has become one of the most popular cosmetic procedures. There's tons of easy ways to find info about it. But back in the 2010s, testimonials and advice about getting the procedure were hard to come by. When I first thought about getting a BBL, I was asking people a lot. I was like on Real Self, and I'm a review queen. I'm going to read everything. So I was doing research for a very long time. I feel like people use their doctor as like the Krabby Patty formula. And people don't want to put people on. I just was like, I want to talk about it, you know? But the secrecy did not stop Dream. In 2012, at 20 years old, she got that work. I went to Columbia and I got my first BBL. I was just a little scared a little bit because I heard it's so painful. But coming back from Columbia with that waist teeny body dreamy, Dream initially loved the results she got. Like I got I had these nice hips and a little booty. The fat literally erased. I would never forget. But it didn't last. I'm Rodney Carmichael. I'm Sydney Madden. And from NPR Music. This is Louder Than a Riot. Where we confront the double standard that's become the standard. On every episode this season, we tackle one unwritten rule of hip-hop that affects the most marginalized among us and holds the entire culture back. And one that a new generation of rap refuses to stand for. On this episode, we're going to break down how the male gaze leaves those of us under it objectified, consumed, and shamed for not fitting into the mold. This is called body policing, and it happens everywhere, especially in hip-hop. We're telling the stories of three artists who've all dealt with their bodies being policed in different ways. Dream Doll takes me through the cost of chasing perfection. Someone always has something to say. Everybody has a comment on your body. It's like, if you're natural, they're talking about it. If you have surgery done, they have something to say. It's just always something to say. Baby Tate teaches me how to clap back at the haters. People think it's fun. It's like, woohoo, let's all join in and bash on the black woman. Kiki, kiki, kiki. And Dochi breaks down how she took on the patriarchy by bearing it all. It's something about the woman's body specifically that really triggers people. On this episode, rule number three beauty is in the eye of the male gaze.
So talk to me about Life in Plastic 3. This is the finale. Is there? There's not going to be another one, right? No, this, this is a trilogy. This is the finale, Life in Plastic 3. This is me closing. This is my closure. When I sat down with Dream back in September of last year, she had just dropped her third album in a trilogy called Life in Plastic. If someone had never heard of this trilogy before, why did you name it Life in Plastic? Yes. What's the metaphor to it? I named my project Life in Plastic because I feel like people just look at me like a pretty face sometimes um, and or a nice picture. I'm not just this girl from Instagram that can sit there and smile in a picture and wear nice stuff. No. I got a story just like everybody else. I, mean, I got a check for telling y'all bitches, talk to me nice or don't talk to me twice. Now, maybe y'all listen. Dream used the Life in Plastic trilogy to tell her story. And a big part of that story began when she started getting work done on her body. So I always thought about Dream Doll, the doll you would dream to be. That's what, what, that's what I did when I kind of created my character. Life in Plastic has songs like Barbie Girl that talk about becoming a fantasy. Thanks in part to surgeries like the BBL, Dream Got Done in Columbia. Uh-huh. That's why I'm sicker than his last watch. Body perfect, it was worth it. Uh-huh. But after her BBL started wearing off, Dream was still feeling that pressure to achieve and keep the ideal body. In Life in Plastic 2, she talks about that frustration. They don't see my potential. My pictures off IG. Cause fuck likes, it's no love left inside me. I have these nice hips and a little booty. And it literally erased. Like, I was working out and it was like my hips was going. I was like, oh, I need something that's going to stick. What happened to Dream's results is pretty common. It's actually the natural progression of most BBLs. Do you perform Brazilian butt lifts at your practice? I absolutely do. I just finished doing a procedure about, about two hours ago. That's Dr. Kelly Bolden, a licensed plastic and reconstructive surgeon in the Washington, D.C. area. Dr. Bolden has been practicing since 2011. Now, at the time that Dream got her first BBL, she didn't know what it would take to keep it looking like new. Dr. Bolden says in a world where surgery is seen as a quick fix, that aftercare and maintenance, it often gets overlooked. The biggest portion of upkeep is maintain a stable weight because significant weight loss or weight gain can affect your results. With BBLs or with fat transfer in general, the average person will keep anywhere between 50 to 70% of the fat that you graft. So depending on what shape and size you're looking for, some people will require more than one procedure. And needing multiple procedures can also increase the risk. According to the Aesthetic Surgery Education and Research Foundation, BBLs have the highest mortality rate of any cosmetic surgery in the U.S. The unreliable long-term results can also lead people to look for alternative solutions. When Dream couldn't keep the weight on where she wanted it, she ended up choosing a more drastic option. So I went the legal route, and it was not the best decision. I do not recommend getting butt shots. Please don't ever do it. It is so painful. It feels like you got ran off my truck. Now, I know you've definitely heard of butt shots before. 
Remember Nicki Minaj's verse in Ass where she said it's finally solved? Kiss my ass and my anus, cause it's finally famous and it's finally solved. Yeah, it's finally solved. I don't know, man. Kiss them ass shots, we're all. Bitches ain't popping. Unlike a BBL that injects someone's own fat from another part of their body, butt shots are injections that can be made up of any number of foreign materials. Things ranging from hyaluronic acids, which are FDA approved, to silicones, gels, or mineral oils, which are definitely not. They do give you tremendous amount of volume, but they're very dangerous because, again, your body recognizes them as foreign foreign material, and it tends to wall them off, especially when you're not doing it in a, in a medical setting because a lot of times they don't tell you what it is. It can have very, very catastrophic complications. Dream found herself on the bad side of those complications. She ended up in the hospital. What was the, what was the pain like? A hundred. Whatever the highest number you could put is the highest number. Highest number. Like, during the pain, I couldn't take the pain. And I was, like, um, getting fevers, and I'd be in the hospital, and nobody knew. I, they didn't know what was wrong with me, you know, because I, I didn't feel comfortable telling them I did that. <laughs> yeah. This was a turning point for Dream, where she felt the cost of trying to achieve the unattainable. Dream realized that going under the knife illegally was giving the male gaze more than its pound of flesh. So I just tried to find somebody to take it out, and they were like, that was a problem. You know, it's a foreign object, so you got to remove it one day. After this scary, painful experience and realizing she put more value in these standards than her own health, Dream was determined to never repeat this mistake and to show other girls who wanted to get these surgeries the whole process, not just the pretty results. You have to get your massages with her, okay? And in 2019, she started vlogging her whole journey to remove her shots and get a new BBL. And this shit hurts. Off of the most disturbing part of the day. Getting my shots removed was the best thing that I ever did in my life. And that's why I vlogged a lot about surgery because it's like, even like with removing like anything like butt shots or anything, like people don't talk about that. It's crazy. When you take it out, it looks disgusting. It literally looks like chicken grizzle. That's what my sister said it looks like. But Probably overtold so my experience when I, when I went to Columbia. Even when I was in a recovery house, you know, um, being a little bit too free-speeched. But I just felt like maybe it took me to go through it to, like, want to help other people. But now I'm 100% product-free. And um, I'm just trying to help any females out there that did make the mistake that I did. And did So far, Dream has had four rounds of removal. And the openness in her vlogs has helped to demystify butt shots and removals for a lot of people. In fact, others have started to come to her for advice. Even people, girls that I thought they didn't like me, they like, girl, can you please help me? I'm like, okay, still help them. Because I have a good heart at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and, did, and no one helped you, right? So you wanted no to help No one helped others. me. And that's why I think I did it. Because it's like, no one helped me, but maybe this might help somebody. And talking with others helped Dream too because it gave her a chance to reflect. I went through the stage of wanting a big butt and big boobs. You know, really embellish my body. To now, I just want to remove everything and be back to my... It's like... I wish I could rewind back time and get my natural body back. Like, I really want my natural body back, and I'm trying, but it's just, like, it's, be, it's not easy. As she's gotten older, 
and left toxic exes in the dust. She's caught on to the catch-22 of it. Dream sees the power that her body gave her. And she sees the power she gave to the male gaze. So looking back, would you not get any surgeries at all? Is that what you're saying? I don't know, because I don't know if I would be where I am today. Mm. Yep. I think it's really brave how you talk about this. Yeah, I don't care. You can um, judge me. It don't matter. So that's really what Life in Plastic 3 is about. Acknowledging that Catch-22 and moving through it anyway. And then Life in Plastic 3, the cover art, And Life in Plastic 3 is the doll head done, the finished project. It's wrapped up, saran-wrapped. That's why I'm I'm saran-wrapped on the thing. You know, now she's ready to brush her hair. She got the nail polish. She's polished. And she's ready to go out there and venture and to a new world. I wanted to let her go. And that's how I came up with Misunderstood. I try to take a jab at being vulnerable just because there's some people that still discover me, even after hearing me today. Like, you know, people still discover me. They don't really know my story. So I wanted to reintroduce my story to the fresh, fresh ears and be vulnerable. Before I get any of it, I need some ass and some tits. I ain't ashamed of it. I learned the game from it. Double D's dream doll made my name from it. Learned the game from it. How the snakes suck you. How the streets got no love, but they will fuck you. Fuck that. I got struck, so I struck back. I don't believe in bad luck. So what a I really had to learn, like, you can't do anything for anyone's pleasures you have to just love yourself and do it for yourself if you want to get that bbl baby go get that bbl and that's that for dream the surgeries are not the root of the problem it's the pressure and she's working on tuning out that pressure and focusing on what she wants what's right for her music her career and her body natural or not but there's nothing the male gaze hates more being ignored. One Atlanta artist learned that the hard way. After this, baby take. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI, generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code CODESWITCH to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. I'm never going to put a knife to this body because it's like, for what? God did a great job. That's Baby Tate, and she is not aspiring to the industry standard that says you got to have your stomach on flat, flat, ass on what's that. I want to be that representation to let people know you don't have to, and you can still be as glamorous as you want to be without fitting into literally this cookie-cutter image. Tate turns her middle finger to the male gaze on the regular. The Atlanta artist brings that energy to her music, too, She's unapologetic in praising herself, her body, and her all-around badassery. One of her biggest songs to date is all about self-affirmation. But something that happened in 2021 made it clear the male gaze was still going to come for her joy. Let's start at the very beginning. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember getting the the call or the, the invitation to, to perform at Afropunk? I do remember being excited about Afropunk because I'd always been to Afropunk and loved going. And this was my first time doing Atlanta on the big stage. So I was super excited about it. And if you've ever been to Afropunk, especially in Atlanta, the scene, the the outfits, every it's just so free. It's so free. Yeah, Afropunk. I mean, it's like a festival made for us by us. And the lineup for Atlanta that year was fire. Wale, Rico Nasty, Fouché. And you know, the cats that go, they on a different level too. Baby Tate was just the same. She had her original fit laid out in her mind like the first day of school. I started, you know, getting outfits together. I had ordered these bubblegum pink Rick Owens boots. And I was like, I'm going to wear these. And I think I had an outfit that I was going to wear at a different show. But I was like, no, I'm going to wear it at Afropunk with these boots and it's going to be perfect. Until those bubblegum pink Rick Owens boots showed up the day before in the wrong color. And I was so sad because now my entire outfit is ruined. And now I have to find something else to wear. So she called up a designer to get a whole new fit last minute. And the next day, they came through with a backup a custom-made cheetah print fit, and a matching floor-length puffer coat. Bow. Now, this fit was not meant for the body shot. It was a halter-neck crop top with matching low-rise pants made of this skin-tight, stretchy material and a black G-string. Tate literally had to squeeze into it, and it was designed to be bold and revealing, leaving parts of her midsection totally exposed. It was very, very weird trying to get it on. I'm literally just like twisting these two, basically these two chaps that were supposed to go around my neck and then have like these, this little thong piece. Yeah, Tate was trying to live out her Disney Channel dreams and serve sexy cheetah girl, but the vision wasn't quite coming together right. We were literally running late. So I was like, I gotta go. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can wear. I have nothing else. So it wasn't, the way that I'm wearing it was not how it's supposed to look. Like, I don't think my stomach was supposed to be even out like that. As Tate scrambled to get ready, out in the crowd, a photographer named Megan Something was just pulling up. This was my first time at Afropunk. 
As far as festival atmosphere, it's probably one of the coolest I've ever been in because everybody was just being themselves. Honestly, I think I arrived right uh, as she was going on stage. I got uh, walked into the pit. Everybody was, like, hyping her up, like, yelling her name or just, like, singing the words to her song. Megan loved how free Tate looked. Sporting a candy-striped pink wig and some fly-ass sunglasses, Tate rapped, sang, and got the crowd going wild. I hate to call people, oh, you're so confident. I know that's annoying, but I guess that's what just stuck out in my head. It's like, she's on stage in front of all these people with her stomach out, and like people are like really judgmental. She doesn't have a six pack, or she doesn't have an extremely flat stomach, so the fact that she came out here just shows like what kind of person she is. Just like a carefree, like kind of like, I love my body, and that's what it is. Tate was given all that totally unbothered. I'm not about to back down. I'm not about to say, oh, I can't perform because my stomach's out. No, I'm about to go in on that stage and I'm going to kill it, period. So that's what it was. And when I came out, oh, my God, everybody in the crowd was screaming. And I think people seeing me out there like that in person was like, wow, this girl right here really just came out like this with this long puffer coat. I looked great, honestly. My name is Baby Tate. Um, you know, today I pulled up in uh, the Pink Pussy Cheat Delicious drip. Yeah. But normally, you know, I pull up in a little rainbow Cadillac. And for me, I was having a great time. I was on top of the world after the performance because people loved it. After Tate set, Megan took her camera, circulated through the festival a little bit. I was trying to find people to take pictures of, like, with their outfits, and I happened to turn around, and she, she was standing there, and she had, like, a line of people waiting to meet her. And so I was just, like, snapping pictures of them, like, meeting her or talking to her, and you're hearing the conversations, and, you know, they're like, oh, my God, you know, you look good, sis. I'm so excited to meet you. And I, I even asked her, I said, hey, can I uh, take some pictures of you? And she was like, sure. I was like, your set was really dope. So the festival's a wrap. Megan flies home, still vibing from her first Afropunk. When she sits down to edit her photos from the festival, Tate stand out. She looks like a boss, totally in command. But it still doesn't stop Megan from worrying. And I honestly was hesitant on posting them and that is simply because I know how harsh people are. Mm. Certain ones, I was like, maybe I'll leave these out or maybe I'll crop it. Mm. I know how critical people are of women in hip-hop. Mm. I watch it all the time and so I was like, I do not want to add fuel to the fire to where she's getting dragged. So I actually had picked some different ones than the ones I ended up posting and they were like cropped, like tighter so mm. it didn't show like her stomach. And I know that sounds bad, but I really just was like, I do not want any problems. <laughs> like, I know right. how mean people are online. So I was like, I don't want it to be because of me. 
If that ain't the male gaze on 1000, Megan's looking out for baby Tate by self-censoring her own photography because she knows the trolls will be lurking. So did it make you upset that you had to like police your, your work like that because you knew that it would be criticized by the Internet? A little bit because it's like you would like to freely post the work that you did and they were nice pictures. It wasn't like she looked bad to me or anything. She didn't look bad. While Megan held back her photos, baby Tate let them rip. She posted the full photos, uncropped. It wasn't until I posted pictures on my Instagram that you get the trolls and the haters because that's where they live on the internet. They don't live in real life. It just blew up into something even bigger and getting comments from people that don't got nothing to do with nothing. And the comments kept coming, too. She can lose 10 pounds. You should work that belly off, though. And most of these comments, they were from other women. That's the thing about the male gaze. It doesn't care whose eyes it's looking through. Shit. Sometimes, internalized misogynoir comes for the girls, too. A lot of times, people just enjoy disrespecting women. <laughs> uh, especially black women. It's just like a, 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 a battle that we have to go through. Just because, especially now with social media, people think it's fun. It's like... Woohoo, let's all join in and bash on the black woman. Kiki, kiki, ki. Whether you go the surgery route or you're rocking the body God gave you, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's like there's no way for women to just be. And for us, it's like you all are having fun, but this is my life. This is my livelihood. This is my mental and emotional health. And people don't care. You're not about to talk to me crazy and just walk away. No, come back to your phone. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say something, too. Man, she came back for the trolls hard. She lit one coming up so bad, typing, Girl, you should mind your business and work your money up so you can stop wearing synthetic wigs. Don't tell me what to do with my body, you feel-to-face, creepy-looking gremlin. I started off on the low road. I'm not going to lie. I definitely did. I was clapping back at people like, you need to go feed your kids. I don't know why you're worried about what I'm eating. I was definitely clapping back. Megan was watching all this go down on the TL. The reaction to Tate's photos went exactly like she thought it would. Let's focus on um, the music. These women can rap, like for real. But we can't even get past that because we're so busy. What was she wearing here and why? Or what? Like, what is this outfit? Or what does she look like? Or... I've even seen when people have had bad makeup days or bad hair day, and it's just like they're torn apart. What yeah. about that rapper that got a bad lineup? You don't hear nothing about that. It's <laughs> a lot of bad lineups. <laughs> right. So well, we don't hear about that, though. We're going to hear about how her lace wasn't melted, though, and who yeah. did her makeup. So when you saw Tate posting so openly and, like, clapping back on the trolls and all that, like, did, did that kind of give you the go-ahead to go ahead and let your pics out? Yes, I saw it. She was trending. And I was just like, what is she trending for? And then I went and looked. I was like, oh, wow. As soon as I saw it, uh, I said, okay, let me go ahead then. Because she's she's with it. So that's when I actually posted my carousel. People were like, thank you for posting these because now we can see what a real body looks like. And the comments of support kept rolling in, not just from Tate's fans, but from big names that Tate's a fan of. Rihanna reaching out to me was totally left field. Oh, yeah. You heard right. Rihanna. I was not expecting that at all. And uh, she was, you know, I think the the biggest artist to reach out to me. But I definitely had a lot of different other peers that reached out. 
and just saying like, you know, your your body is beautiful, sis. That moment really almost definitely did a 180 from what people thought it was going to do. They thought it was gonna, I was going to be crying in the RR, crying on the bus and going to the doctor, getting surgery. Nope. So Tay posted a new pic on Instagram. We asked her to read the caption for us. As Queen B once said, want to see some real ass? Baby, here's your chance. Shout out to all my natural bellied bodies. I see you. I am you. I love you. No matter what my body looks like, it is mine and I love it. Please go project your insecurities onto a piece of paper, burn it and throw it away. Then go look in the mirror and tell yourself how much you are loved. Heart emoji. When I had that moment at Afropunk and people were talking about my outfit and my body and my stomach. Since then, I have not worked out a day. Like, not one day have I worked out. And I almost have done it purposely. Like, you know what? Actually, I was working out. But now, y'all gonna have to see this flab on my stomach. Y'all should just been quiet. (laughs) now you gonna see it for real. But... I'm going to get back into working out because it is something that I enjoyed. But just for a time, I was like, that is crazy that y'all even did that to me. So I'm going to just live. I'm going to just live my life because I should be able to. There are so many literally obese male rappers that like nobody bats an eye. Nobody says a thing to them. And they shouldn't because at the end of the day, it's nobody's business. We are not doctors. I don't like to say body positivity because I think that adds a bit of like false expectations into it because nobody has to be positive about your body. I don't have to think your body looks great, but what I do have to do is accept that that's your body. There you go. You know, and you have to accept that this is mine and I have to accept my own. So I like to say it's all about body acceptance for me and, um, you know, self-acceptance. It's like, do you like it? Okay, cool. You like it, I love it, baby, okay? And uh for me it's just like I'm I'm going to I'm going to walk out and I like it. The male gaze is a shapeshifter, a slippery trickster, and it polices in ever-changing ways. For Dream, it took the form of her toxic preteen boyfriend, criticizing her body in a way that never really left her. For Tate it was a nameless, filter-faced mob on the internet that couldn't handle even an ounce of body fat. But what happens when the male gaze goes corporate? Built into your contract and all up in the fine print. You'll hear the rapper Dochi answer that question in the rest of this episode of Louder Than a Riot. You can find it and follow the rest of the season on NPR.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Louder Than a Riot is hosted by me, Sydney Madden, and Rodney Carmichael. This episode was written by myself, Rodney, and Gabby Bulgarelli. And it was produced by Gabby Bulgarelli and Sam J. Leeds. Our senior producer is Gabby Bulgarelli. Our producers are Sam J. Leeds and Mano Sandresen. Our editor is Soraya Shockley, with additional editing from Sam J. Leeds. And our engineers are Gilly Moon and Josh Newell. Our senior supervising producer is Cher Vincent. Our interns are Jose Sandoval, Teresa Shia, and Pilar Galvan, with help from Jerusalem Truth. And the NPR execs are Keith Jenkins, Yolanda Sanguini, and Anya Grunman. Original theme by Casa Overall, remixed by Suzy Analog. 
And the scoring for this episode was provided by Susie Analog and Casa Overall. Our digital editor is Jacob Gans, and our fact checker is Greta Pittenger. If you like this episode, if you want to talk back, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Louder Than a Riot. And if you want to email us, we're at louder at npr.org. From NPR Music, I'm Rodney Carmichael. And I'm Sydney Madden. And this is Louder Than a Riot. And special thanks to Olivia Chilcote and Jess Kung, who produced this episode of Code Switch. It was edited by Dahlia Mortada. I'm B.A. Parker. Hydrate. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, historians, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. Their researchers have released the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Why will 2024 be a volatile year for cybersecurity? Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com slash NPR. Hello, I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. Join me each week on In Black America as we profile current and historically significant figures whose stories help illuminate life in Black America. You don't want to miss the conversation. KUT Radio and In Black America are members of the NPR Network. Thanks for listening to In Black America.